in today's episode, A Beautiful Future. Right. It's the future that needs to be. And so the future that needs to be, and then from there, then what is your place in that future? And the energy you bring to creating that future. Every time I talk, every time I work with people, I'm emitting specific energies, and I want my life and my interaction to be a positive one. With our guest, Dr. Evans Baya. Plus, he shares very personal insights on the impact of a global humanitarian effort. One of the greatest reward for me is when I come back to our home and I hear the stories that these uh, opportunities are having on our local community. People who went thinking they are going to go change the world and the world changes them. Welcome to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Leaders who are innovating, building, and guiding organizations with a higher vision. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldie and Mark Stenson. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. I'm Mark Stenson. My co-host is Kirsten Gouldie. Hi, Kirsten. Hi, Mark. You know, I just, I, I break down that title as I'm even saying it, IntelliKey Leadership and stories. And we've got a, a great episode today where we're going to touch on all of those. Our guest is Evans Baya. Evans, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. It's great to be with you guys. So good to talk to you. Evans is a strategist and innovation consultant, uh, commercialization advisor. His clients are in the areas of healthcare, food, technology, entertainment, universities, nonprofits, and the list goes on. And he's got a great book called The Innovator's Advantage. We're going to talk to Evans about that. We're going to dive deep into that. But let's start with you, Kirsten. Uh, when we think about IntelliKey and this idea of reaching full potential, what, what sort of interactions did you have with uh, your friends and clients this week about their goals and their potential? You know, I've had a very interesting week with my clients because with all of the civil unrest in many, many people across many oppressed sectors, the black communities, the female communities, the gay communities, Native Americans have been done for a long time because it's been a mass genocide, you know, and as we're going through this, it's, I really had to break down the word tolerance this week. And I actually do not like that word for this situation. Many, many of my clients are at a zero tolerance and they're reevaluating their roles as leaders beyond just money, right? Mm -hmm. Like the money is an output of being a great leader, right? If you do what you love, you're always going to find the money. But all of my clients are evaluating themselves at a soul level, not just, you know, who am I as a leader, as a soul level. Many of us have been educating ourselves, and you know I come from an interracial family, but have grown beyond and are educating ourselves. And I'm even learning this stuff this week where I have great sadness that I never took the time to learn so I could support and live in a better way. I'm very vocal, so I'm really okay with being outspoken yes. or things I'm passionate about. And it's interesting, about. Uh, and I want to pick up on your thought there on tolerance. Are you saying because tolerance just means accepting or suppressing? 100%, or, right? Okay. It, it feels like, I'll just say it straight, it feels like, but I'm going to kick you and I'll change my language just a little bit so I look socially acceptable and you must tolerate me as I do it. Well, no, I don't need to, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I don't need to. You need to change. 
so we can walk in love and light, mm-hmm. right? So, and, that, and in your coaching, then, how, how are you helping people, I guess, uh, express that, number one, but, but flip it inside out to, you know, so how do I act on that? What do I do about that? And rather than simply say, uh, I need to accept it, how do I move on from it? First and foremost, right, I um, am an intuitive advisor, and I teach people to build off of their own intuition and be guided by something larger than themselves. So the very first piece is we evaluate their value system, and everybody has a role to play. So once you know your value systems, you're able to identify what your role is and how it aligns best suited to you. First, you have to find out what role you want to play. Not everybody's going to be on the front lines and vocal and protesting. There might be people in the background who are praying, meditating, consciously sending love so we elevate the vibration. You know, chances are I'll be on a front line. That's just my nature. But not all of my clients will ever play that role. That, but there's, it's an equal role. And then second, I think just even based off of our last guest last week, which really, you know, supported my own growth as well, is start learning from the inside out what's really happening, right? Like I watched the, the show 13th on Netflix and I cried that I didn't know this. And I actually supported the man and voted for a man who increased the imprisonment of the black community tenfold, tenfold. I missed him because media had me thinking he was our first black president. Well, it's a white man, right? He's not our first black president. Flip my own self, like upside down. So this is what we're talking about is how do we flip ourselves? You know, going back to what's happening with my clients, everyone's waking up, you know, and both sides are rising. So we're potentially at a real clash here and who knows, but you know, one, we have to walk in light, find our truth, navigate it, process the feelings, and then determine what role is right for us at a soul level. And if we can all find that, we can do it. And I loved what Dave shared last week. We have to cross the lines in an empathetic, um, that really shifted my conversations with a lot of my clients. Like we have to look at the other side openly, compassionately, and with love. Yeah. So, I mean, that well, was a you're, lot. You're raising a very good point about uh, this reaching across the lines. And, you know, uh, we even talked about on our podcast here that we want to open the lines to more voices, to, to hear more stories, to hear uh, more. And we'll come back around to our listeners with a way that we're going to do that uh, as we've uh, shaped and organized that. So uh, it, it's a lot of deep thoughts to, to process, and I really appreciate you, you opening up. And that's, that's what our podcast is all about, reaching full potential. Uh, being leaders in our own way, like you say, everybody's not a leader in one method or one action. And then these stories, and we want to hear more of them. You know, and Mark, I have a thought to this point. You recently have published a book, mm-hmm. and I suspect that book crosses a lot of parallels about what we're talking about. So can you just tell us about that real quick? Yeah, well, the new book is Customer Chemistry. It's the four elements of building customer relationships, and it's also what I learned from them. And mm-hmm. so to your point, I, I wasn't always the perfect customer relationship builder. But, <laughs> you know, a, as you uh, learn these lessons and you apply them, did I get better and better? Certainly. And do I think I have a lot to share with people through this book? So, you know, it's out on Amazon now. It's called Customer 
neurochemistry. And one of the things that is about this idea of empathy, you know, mm-hmm. and truly connecting. And if you think about customers as people, you know, and I'll just relate a story from this week too, but that is, uh, I was meeting with a couple of women. They want to start a new company. They've got a great idea. But I said, who is your customer? And they started talking about the groups, the companies, the buildings, the organization, the institution. It's like, no, 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 wait. I mean, who is the person? (laughs) You know, customers are people. And if we get to know them as people first, and that's really the the essence of the book. But it goes through a four-stage process, a four-step chemistry. I hope people will enjoy it. And this uh, is a perfect segue to our guest today. Evans and I uh, met in this kind of innovation chemistry setting. We were going to do some, uh, call it a focus group, call it an advisory board on what we could do with technology. Evans, uh, tell us about the background uh, that you have. I mean, you're a PhD in engineering, but then you've got this, I'll call it the softer side, you know, (laughs) where you really like to interact with people a lot. How do those things come together in your day-to-day practice where yeah, you like to great. take us? Yeah. <laughs> that's great, Mark. Kirsten, I, I can identify with uh, the stories you're telling. Uh, and uh, I'll come back towards uh, the end of our conversation and talk about how is that impacting me as a person? Right. And how is that impacting me as a leader, right? And because we are all experiencing history at the same time. Yes, but we are being impacted by it differently. And we have different appreciation of what is happening differently. So we'll talk about that and look forward to that. So Mark, my story is a long one, but I'll give you the short version. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure your listeners are going, oh, that guy has an accent. Where does that accent come from, right? And I always tell them, hey, uh, from somewhere in Idaho, That must must be the middle of Idaho. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's somewhere in Idaho. No, I live in Idaho. I love my state. I appreciate this amazing place we call home. It's been my home for most of my adult life, actually. So I just love the place. But my accent has stayed with me as I travel around the world. And so as far as um my background, I I came to United States uh, to go to school, and I actually I'm a chemist. So the whole idea of customer chemistry naturally just, oh my goodness, yeah, what are we making? Which molecule? Yeah, let's talk. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to, to reading your book, Mark, and, and uh, congratulations for getting that out. And uh, there is a whole chemistry mindset in how to build great customers and uh, great relationship with customers. We talk about that in innovation. And uh, so I, I did uh, chemistry and then uh, did engineering business. And then eventually, as I was leading a group of scientists in Silicon Valley, I found myself, most of people who are reporting to me are PhDs. So I thought, you know what? It may be a good idea for me to get one. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it was not out of competitiveness that I got a PhD. Actually, it was because I am highly driven in terms of education. So... So most, uh, multiple uh, postgraduate uh, 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 degrees. And that was all driven because I really wanted to learn. And so when I did my PhD, actually, I did something that was really difficult, which was I went in to two different universities, two different departments, business and engineering, and I tried to put vac- faculties together to work together so that they can support me in my work. It was not easy, but we eventually did it. 
By the way, how I ended up doing is uh, working out is I had advisors in five different continents uh, when I finished my my PhD in smart grid and technology intersection of technology, power, and IT. So, anyway, so I'm a geek at heart. I'm a chemist at heart. But during that process, you know, I was very technically driven. But I realized very quickly, I would never, my education, my technical skills don't get me the results. Mm. Good understanding and working with people gets me the results and gets me even much more than results, gets me satisfaction. It defeats me. It defeats them. And that was the turning point for my leadership journey. I love the difference from success to satisfaction. Yes. Because we all want that inner like, hey, that was great. We did a good job, yes. But that felt good, Yes, you know? And I think a lot of people do miss that. Absolutely. I, I cannot tell you. I remember the first time I got a patent, my very first patent. I mean, come on, man. You, when you get a patent, you're an inventor for life, right? And <laughs> then, <laughs> life is amazing, right? You make your first you know, six-figure uh, or whatever, bonus, things like that. It's great. But it's actually great for maybe until you sleep that night. Yes. Uh-huh. The next morning you wake up, you're going, nobody cares about your patent yesterday. Nobody cares about your bonus yesterday. Who did you influence and how are you going to excite somebody today so that you can go further faster? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, you know, to that point, I'll just share, and I'm sure it sounds like you can relate to this. So, you know, I've been in corporate most of my life a CFO, CCO, and, you know, I've done tons of investor presentations for technology, right? Telecommunications and technology. And to your point, it never satisfied me. Working with a client or company that where you see that their smile happens because corporate environments to date really haven't been healthy, right? Really don't have a healthy background. They're not for the people. They're for the investor profit, right? The shareholder profit. So I love hearing that because I know you're a leader in many environments, but that also influences the best of other people, Absolutely. right? The best comes out in them from having a leader who cares about them. Yes. Yes. Well, and Evans, in, in your process, the innovator's advantage, you know, and in your, your book of the same title and the workshops that go with that and the content that goes with that. But hey, you've been doing it for several years now. Are you seeing the kind of shift Kirsten's talking about where it's not just we're driving to the same end result, but we also want to build a team and build relationships and build customer satisfaction along the way, too? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. If I can add an extra yes. But the yeah. point, and, and this is the reason. When we talk about innovation, we always forget this. Innovation is creation of new value. Yes. And we ask two very diametrically opposed questions. Innovation for who and by who? <laughs> if you ask those two questions, they actually lead you to the same place. By people for people. So if you actually miss connecting the people element, you may have the greatest idea. You may have the best concept. You may even have the financial resources. The market is right, but you don't involve the right people, the right place, you fail. This is one of the reasons, technically, you look at all studies, innovation initiatives globally, most of them fail 
we are looking at maybe five to eight percent success rate. Mm, very good point. Fail? So we always that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Why? I mean, there's there are more books about innovation now than ever before, and they all seem to fail. <laughs> right? <laughs> Everybody is trying to fix the failure, and they we give all these technical perspectives on how to do this better, lean, all these different elements, which I all love, by the way. But we found in our research that nobody is addressing that question I just asked, mm. for who and by who. So this is what we found. This is great. And do you find the the culture of different companies? They say, we want to build a creative culture. We want to build an innovation culture. Are they adding this people piece? No, no. Initially, everybody wants to focus on the new ideas. Uh And Uh by the way, we have this guy over there who is really smart. He's the one who is supposed to be doing it. What we found was, (laughs) let me tell you, that smart guy over there, he only addresses one of the six stages. So he may do a really good job on that one stage. Uh And then that's it. So guess what? Your innovation is not going anywhere. So one of the areas we spend a lot of time with leaders, especially in the initial stages of our process, is really helping them understand this very simple yet very powerful concept, which is this. 73% of your success is determined by the people element. Even if you get the others right, the last time nobody wants 27% success. Uh-huh. Right. Now, it's fascinating because the spiritual world is also beginning to acknowledge this point. There is that shift from a Darwinian theory and the hierarchical theory into the very survival of our planet and scientifically, not just spiritually. And the whole premise of our very survival is working in the construct of nature, which is everything's connected. Absolutely. So to be, to be pulled out of it and work on your own, you're not even in a natural flow of how the laws of the universe work, whether you're believing God or science. Like both yes. of them really are the same process. Yes. So what you're describing is just a natural law that we have ignored for many, many generations. So real quick, the response to that, Kristen, is, we work in a network. Right. That's where our power is. Right. Well, and we've asked many of our guests, how do you train them? Somebody who may not have these natural people skills, can they be instilled? Can they be trained? And how do you do it? The answer is yes and no. Mainly yes. Let me tell you why. The number one thing that when I spend time with leaders, and we're going to talk about conscious leadership within a second, is you know what? Let's actually understand who you are. Let's, let's start there. And my goal is not to change you. I used to have um, a, not a very academic term, but it was a socially, uh, the, the leaders got it when I used to say it. I always used to tell them, I want to identify why you suck and help you suck less, right? Let's look at what are those areas that you are killing innovation, people skills. Let's look at those. And then from there, Let's actually identify how to fill those gaps. You may actually invest to fill those gaps, or we may create a system to help you fill those gaps. Mm-hmm. And what I find is most of the leaders, as soon as they get that aha moment, most of them are willing to say, show me the three, four things I need to do over the next year to get better. And most conscientious leaders are willing to invest. There are some who will say, you know what, I'm here for capital. I'm here just so that I can sell the company. 
And then those are not the kind of leaders we want to work with anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. Is there, was there a point in your career, I mean, I know you, you touched upon it briefly, when you got the aha moment that it was people. Was there a point within that where you became committed to that? As, because it sounds like that is like almost like we were just talking about like a zero tolerance, right? Like there's, it's no longer acceptable to not have alignment within everybody for it to thrive, right? Yes. We're as good as our weakest link. So if everybody's yeah. not aligned with these principles, it really won't have the capacity to hit that exponential. So what, what turned it where you got, okay, this is how I'm going to drive it. Cause I, and Mark and I love to use the terms KPIs, right? Yes. And yes. then did you see a shift in measurement as you began really influencing how leadership? Yes, I had actually my turning point happened over like three step process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and my very first step was I noted that somebody asked me a question. Actually, it was a discussion I had with my, uh, one of my professors at Harvard Business School. And he was saying, what motivates you as an engineer, as a scientist, to want to get into business? Why, why are you thinking about doing, so I was doing business strategy and intellectual property. And I'm thinking, yeah, because that's what my job is. It's all about innovation. So, you know, it's all about how to take ideas and create great innovation and create a right strategy to create greater value to it. I am highly resource driven uh, in terms of resourcefulness driven. So I I want to get return investment for everything. (laughs) And, And I have this moment of, oh, maybe it's not just about dollars and cents. There is a bigger purpose to me. Right. And that started the journey of what is that bigger purpose? Then I noted when I go and spend time with my team, I loved this. I love discussions. I love to get deep and do whiteboards. I mean, I have whiteboards everywhere. I mean, I use my fridge as my whiteboard. I mean, I, everything, right? So, so I have napkins. I have everything. Right? And do you know... Is, this is, is why I love to hang out with Evan. <laughs> we, can, we can go through a stack of napkins like nobody's business. <laughs> do you, do you, you know, believe it or not, before that journey began, a lot of people thought I was an introvert. Ah, my technical and academic journey had trained me to, to actually consciously just live in this box. And all of a sudden I started realizing there's something greater. And uh, that led me to different ways of managing the team. So I found my team is willing to talk to me more. They don't feel intimidated by me as much. They don't feel like uh, I am just driving for results. Right. We still want results, but there is this human element that says, I, you are much more complex, much better than just you doing set of experiments. And uh, that aha moment changed. And when we started getting into consulting, we started looking into, I did not actually look at it as the specific issue, as the people I side. But the more we started looking at our customers, who are those customers that are successful? versus those who are not successful, we found out that people intelligence part was always higher for those more successful 
clients than those who are not. Right. And that was like the last aha moment. Actually, that led us to writing the Innovators Advantage book because we had a customer, real quick story, a real customer with a huge opportunity. They're talking about almost $10 million, at least recurring revenue every year without almost doing nothing. And we came to them and gave them this idea and we said, here are the customers. I actually went and talked to the customers, the, his initial customers. And they yeah. said, and, but this guy, they don't care about his team. All he cared about is, when can I get my dolls? And by the way, that innovation not, ended up not doing very well. That opportunity ended up melting away. And I remember that really pained me because it was not personal with him. But for him, the people intelligence part was not there. And, uh, and now since then, he has been working on it. But, uh, but that determines who are successful, who are not successful as leaders, but also as innovators. Mm. So a lot of my training with people, right, because this is what I found even for myself. When you, very distinct statement, when I knew I had a bigger purpose and when I become in alignment with something bigger, and then we become willing to take steps to allow that to unfold, our happiness expands immediately. Mm-hmm. And then we pull in people that want that. Yes. And so therefore their purpose unfolds. Yeah. Right? And it just has this rolling effect. So I love that because a lot of my work is on the soul's journey. You really touched on something very paramount and part of even the word intelligence. It requires a soul and a, yeah. a soul alignment. So yes. thank you for touching that. Our guest is Evans Baya. He's an innovation strategist and, as you can see, a passionate thinker. His book is The Innovator's Advantage, and you can reach uh, more information about Evans at theinnovatorsadvantage.com. Let's turn the page now to this idea of not just leadership, but adding the conscious part and more higher purpose that we've been talking about. You know, Mark, this is one of those areas that the more I dig, the deeper I go, the more I realize there is more. Mm-hmm. But let's start with high level. A few years ago, I was thinking about what does conscious leadership mean to me? So I needed to create a definition. So my definition is not very technical, but it's important to me, which is this. Conscious leadership is understanding how you influence people and how others influence you. And when you have that conscious right in front of you, then you are able to say, am I positively or negatively impacting other people? Am I positively or negatively impacting myself? Because we talk about great leaders have three things in common. Number one is they are clear thinkers. Uh-huh. They lead themselves and they lead others. It's so good. So with those three things, conscious leadership does those three things for me and for those I work with. And out of that, then we identify the skills, the, the, the intelligence, the emotional aspect of things that allow me to live consciously, knowing that I am every time I talk, every time I work with people, I'm emitting specific energies that are positive or negative, I'm influencing them. And I want my life and my interaction to be a positive one. I want it to be one 
that allows them to grow. And we have identified what I call the four forces of influence, and I'll talk about that within a second. And those allow us to do the right thing at the right time, but consciously and conscientiously. Yes. I, I love that. And, and it crosses borders too. I mean, you opened with your very personal story about coming to the U.S., but now, now giving back, you know, yes. and going back to Kenya and helping people there, helping uh, small businesses, helping nonprofits. Your, your group, Expansion International, tell me how that came about and what you're working on with that. Yeah, so Expansion International, uh, for those who would like to find more information about it, is expansioninternational.org, is a nonprofit organization that we started um, that helps transform communities. The key word there is transform. And uh, so we started our very first trip. I took a trip of my friends from Boise, Idaho, four of them, in <laughs> 2002. And I told them, Hey guys, you want to know where I grew up? Come on, come on, let's let's <laughs> let's go see. And um, but we wanted to you know, check around and see uh, how we can help. And we visited schools, we visited churches, we visited um, uh, hospitals, we visited with all kind of leaders. And after we came back, we said we want to focus on healthcare. We want to focus on uh, children's education and other areas, but we started there. And uh, since 2003, we have always sent teams of uh, med uh, medical practitioners, uh, missionaries. I mean, we have kind of all kind of people who go there and do some great work. We have seven different communities. And since then we have been able to do some amazing work, Mark. We, we, we actually moved um, what we would call a refugee camp and we help build homes for them. Wow. And it's a thriving community. It's an amazing story. You can find that on our website. This last year, we just opened our second medical clinic. We started with the first one in 2007, which now treats about 2,000 people. This other one is even bigger. And we have traveling nurses and medical practitioners. And so there's a lot going on in all these seven different communities. The idea is... When we meet that child who has no chance of going to high school and we invest in him or her, that could be Evans, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I can be able to invest in that person, that person most of, most of the times comes from a family that will never afford education. They most likely, most of the other siblings will never go anywhere in terms of education. Yes. When you give that person a chance, what that means is you're not only educating them, but you're giving their family an opportunity to wealth and an opportunity for future education, and you're giving them an opportunity for them to get out of poverty in the future. That's so good. And I got to think that you're putting this through the filter of how am I impacting them and yes. how is that impacting me you know, at, that, at that soulful level. I mean, I'll pick up where Kirsten left off with that question. I yes. mean, this is obviously a faith-based group. It yep. means a lot to you. You know, it's a heartfelt heart-inspired action. Uh, yes. And if you're, if you're willing, how does, what does that mean to you? Two, two things real quick. Let me first talk about how you impact others. So we have an average of, I do believe the last time we checked this, this back in 2017, no, actually 2018, every time we send an American group there, which we do, we try to do at least twice a year, if not three times a year, we are looking at interactions with up to 17 to 20,000 people mm. in two weeks. That's a big ripple. 
oh yeah, oh yeah, it's a lot of impact, yeah? But what I hear is, I can go to the communities and they will tell me, this person came and saved my life, literally. I cannot tell you how many people who have actually been brought in on a stretcher to our clinics. Mm. I cannot tell you even how many kids have been birthed, born in our clinics. Oh, this lady was going to travel 20 kilometers or whatever it is to go uh, deliver a child. But uh, sorry, they just, on a public transportation, they just had a baby. And, oh, there's a medical camp going on over there. Let's take them over there, whatever it is. And now one of our clinics, we even have a 24-hour maternity uh, area because people do not always have access to where to go deliver babies. And so I can go to the communities and I can hear all those great stories. But one of the greatest reward for me is when I come back to our home, this beautiful Boise, Idaho, and I hear the stories that these exercises, these uh, opportunities are having on our local community. Mm -hmm. People who went thinking they are going to go help and go change the world, and the world changes them. Right. And and they come back more passionate, more just. So they they understand what we are fighting with on a social context, and they want to be better people, and they want to continue to promote betterment of a human, the humankind, and they have witnessed the work of their own hands. They're not being told. They have witnessed the work of their own hands and how that has come back to bless and, and actually overwhelm them. So that is amazing part of the story. But for me, Mark, I don't know whatever ever stop. The more I go see it gives me life to keep going. I have a purpose, I have a mission to be a leader that really makes every day count for them. So strong. That's very powerful. And you know so, what? I guess bookending book the idea that if you reach out to help someone else, look at the impact it has to you. Yes. And so, Kirsten, at the outset, when you were saying reach across the fence, reach across the barrier, reach across your neighbor's yard, you yes. know, whatever it is. And, and listen, that's a big impact. Yes. A quick question relative to really many, di- I think it all wraps in. I, before we even began well, this show today, you and I asked you the question about intuition relative to innovation. My theory is, and you, know, you can say either way, I'm not tied to my own answer, um, is to create a new future. You need to anchor yourself in the future and be pulled by that vision of the future and create for that. Otherwise, innovation will actually stagnate because it's almost outdated the minute we create it. So what do you see for a future, right? You're not just an innovator of technology. You're an innovator of social consciousness, of bettering the world, of, right? And these are the things we need to eliminate the potential of this sixth extinction that those spiritual leaders are talking about, right? So what do you see? Yeah, yeah. I've been actually spending quite a bit of time futuristic thinking. Mm -hmm. And one of the great exercises that I do is, with my leaders especially, is what we say creating a beautiful future. And it's not, oh, the future you want. That's, That's not what you want. Right. Is the future that needs to be. Right, right, absolutely. And so the future that needs to be, and then from there, then what is your place in that future? Mm-hmm. What is powerful is when I'm talking about the future that needs to be, 
we are using our intuition. We are sp- using our sixth and seventh spiritual gifts, if you will. We are using, in some cases, we're using data. But I'm telling you, most of the data is retroactive <laughs> and reactive. And so, so it may just help us see the next you know, couple of years, but not really the future we are talking about. Uh-huh. And so when I think about this, I think of it at a macro level and micro level. So let me give you a couple of things that I think would be happening in the future at the micro level. Macro level. Number one is the, the future cries out for the change of priorities. Yes. Humanness is a critical part of the future. And that doesn't mean we are against commercial value. That's not the point. But the value of human life, the value of our contribution to the world, I think we are going to get a new generation that says, it's not about justice and inequality. That's not, that is not the point. That is expected. Uh-huh. What better can we do and be as humans? And out of that construct, we are going to see different business models, economic models, and actually different priorities from individuals to nations. And I think, and you're going to even see some impact on that at places like United Nations. The humanness side is going to be a big one at a macro level. This is the thing is that we have already seen globalization, the impact of globalization, right? Mm-hmm. And so we try to globalize and we globalized for the wrong reasons. We globalized for economic and greed. Right. And I think we are going through a reset the next 10, 15 years. Where now we almost everybody's retracting, but now we will reconstruct this again with even more humane way of interacting as a global at a global level. And with that, with that in mind, technology will be the new medium of that. It's already a medium, but it's going to even play a greater role. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the humanness side, the connectedness side, the way we do business. It's going to be different the next 10, 15 years. And of course, how we innovate, it's going to be different. What we are talking about, the impact of that at micro level is, if you're a business leader today, or a religious leader, or a social leader, uh, what, what should you be working on? What kind of generation should we be raising mm-hmm. that is ready for the next 10, 15, 25 years so that they can thrive, they can be more human, they can actually be happier, right? Less stressful, right? Every generation has its own challenges. But let me tell you, we cannot be dealing with the same challenges 25 years from now that we have been dealing with the last 25 years. They will have different challenges because of the context. But life and fulfillment will be different then. And what should we be focusing on? And those are the micro priorities that we should be looking at, both socially, economically, and even, of course, that eventually spills over to our political system and things like that. Beautifully said. It's, it's so strong, and I think it's so practical. And you talk about what kind of kids are we raising, you know, for the next 10 or 15 years. It seems so futuristic. And I'm reminded when, when my oldest child, you know, was the class of 2002, and I thought, 2002? We're never going to get there. Now I have a grandson who is the class of 2030. And so it is the future. And I look at him and I go, oh, 2030, we're never going to make it. Oh, yeah, we're going to make it. You know, Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, I love this idea of not just creating the future, but what are you going to be? What yes. are you going to do in that future? 
And so, of course, we could continue this conversation all day, Evans, and uh, we would love to have you back to talk more. You know, uh, listeners, this is one of those episodes where it is very actionable. You know, go back and listen to some of the things that you've heard, not just to be inspired, which I am right now. I'm feeling really good and high. But uh, to say, what are some of these action steps? I mean, you know, access Evans at theinnovatorsadvantage.com. Find his book, read that, but also take a look at this organization doing some great work uh, in Africa and in Kenya specifically. It's Expansion International. Org. Kirsten's got some great actionable spiritual on the soul resources that you can access. And I, I mentioned my book, uh, Customer Chemistry. So you, you've got a long do list. You've got a long shopping list <laughs> coming out of our webcast here. And we just uh, have enjoyed this conversation so much. Our guest has been Evans Bayat. Evans, thanks for being on the program with us. Oh, my pleasure. Great being with you. And Kirsten, as always, uh, it stimulated so much discussion, so wide-ranging. Yeah, yeah. This has been a fabulous episode. And Evans, I'm so grateful for your participation, your wisdom, your guidance. And really, I can't wait for our listeners to, um, I'm already thinking like, okay, can we create roundtables with him for the youth? Like, what can we do? <laughs> like, I'm writing a date. That's what I was doing. I was taking notes. Yeah. Like, so many ideas popping in, right? So just yeah, by the way. stops you know, on a podcast? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so all this driving, all this innovation, all these ideas, we're just percolating all the time. Yes. So again, thanks, Evan. Thanks, Kirsten, for a great episode. And uh, we hope you all come back again for our next episode. We'll talk to another leader who's working both in their lives and their organization. And we wish you all the best as you achieve your own IntelliKey in your business and in your life. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our websites, www.pureintelliKey.com and www.mark-stenson.com. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories.